Welcome to the Stick Sports Podcast. I'm Shawnee, and I'm with New Kate Six Eight. Hi, I'm New Kate Six Eight. And I think that's the first time we've ever done an intro without you leading it. First time we'd talk about would be the England manager. Controversially, Fabio Capello has quit the, his role as England manager just months before the start of the European Championships. A lot of rumours flying around about who is ready to replace him. Um, at the moment, we know Stuart Pearce is going to take over the next friendly game. Uh, Harry Redknapp is the favourite to take over the role, but there have been other names thrown around. August Hiddink, Mourinho, who's been in trouble with Real Madrid. Um, Alex Ferguson has even joked that he could take the role. But it's a very, um, you know, a, a very interesting and developing situation at the moment. Not uh, as I said, a few front. Probably the front runners are. Um, Redknapp. Red, it was Redknapp. Is the front runner? Everyone yeah. thinking Redknapp is going to. He is. He is the favourite so badly that there have been some bookies in England that have actually stopped taking bets on the to be England manager. But that's the thing. Um, the first question, just as for others, who would you think is going to be England manager? Not necessarily straight away. I, I think. It's going to be... It's going to be psycho for a while, I think. Yeah, I'm thinking... Well, who do you think will be the next England manager? I think... I don't know, it's tough to talk. I, they, can't get, they can't get Redknapp until the end of the season. He's um, got a contract out with Spurs until the end of the season. He can't leave that post. Um, he's also said he can't do it part-time. Um, I personally think it will be him, but as I say, not until at the end of the season. He's going to, as an Englishman, as a football manager, being asked to manage the national team, massive, massive sort of achievement, and I think it will be very hard for him to turn it down. Yeah. Um, the other options are out there, Hiddink, um, Mourinho. I, I personally don't think it will be either of them. I think the FA are under too much pressure from the fans. Um, and the players to have an English manager, and obviously Redknapp's the one that's been sort of leaping out that everybody seems to want. Mm. It's quite difficult, I was saying about this earlier, it's the job that every English manager wants, but it's probably the one job that they shouldn't take. Yeah. Because we were saying about Redknapp um, earlier, he's in a no-win situation. If he stays at Spurs, he'll get slated by the press for choosing club over country. If he goes, If he takes the England job, we're, England aren't at a stage yet um, in the, to win, win any tournaments in the foreseeable future. And I think that if we don't start finishing in that, the last four of any of the major tournaments, then he'll get slated then. So either way, he's just, I wouldn't like to call it. I wouldn't like to call it. Yeah. Well, I think we're not going to see a long-term successor takeover. I mean, with the European Championships, what, four, four months away at the moment... I don't think there's enough time to bring in a new manager, get everyone settled. and There's not enough games to get a, a new manager settled before a major championship. So I don't think we're going to see Harry Redknapp or Mourinho or Ferguson or... Uh, it's just the name of throwing out there. We're not going to see any big names take over full-time. I think if anyone does it, it will be Harry Redknapp who will be doing it. Or he'll be doing Spurs and England. He said he can't do that, but he, he probably would. I, but I think I, I agree. Um, Stuart Pearce will be, take over for the European Championships, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Psycho will be in charge of England for 2012, and I think that's quite a good thing because he's been in the sort of management setup for a while. He's had the under 21. 
he knows a lot of the players well. He's like in a great position to sort of pick up the team from where Capello from where Capello left it. So I think he might be better than people are making him out to be. And if we do well at the Euros, who knows? You know, he might he might be made manager on like a permanent position. Yeah, that's what I think. I think uh, personally, I think he should be made manager. Um, on a personal basis, just because he knows they're running. There's been a few players out there who've said, I think Wayne Rooney tweeted that Harry Redknapp as manager and Henry Winter has been on the ball. Um, he's a, a journalist for the Times newspaper saying that people, are, that he, he, he sp- the England players he's spoken to, they all want Harry Redknapp. But what someone I, uh, I know said, well, the only reason they want Harry Redknapp is because if it's, um, it would be a boys' club. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, they, if Harry Redknapp's back in charge, then they can all mess around a bit more. So I think. Yeah, I don't get what you're getting out of it. I don't. I don't know. I don't think. Well, he's he's what he's. You cannot deny what what he has done with the Tottenham Hotspur. You cannot look. And even what he did with Portsmouth. He took Portsmouth to an FA Cup before that. So you know. You, yeah. Well. His ability. His ability. You as a manager and as a coach, you cannot deny. Yeah, but. Portsmouth to an FA Cup and then he abandoned them. He abandoned sinking ships. Sorry, but he leaves ships when they're sinking at the worst time. Like if, not, if you if you get my point, he leaves like he left Saints uh, for back from Portsmouth. Loyalty is what a lot of people have said he's got a problem with. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to take the England job and then go be like Germany manager, but he's left um, he's left Southampton for Portsmouth. Well, Portsmouth and then Southampton, then left Southampton to go back to Portsmouth. He's managed West Ham and also Tottenham. I mean, West Ham Tottenham's not such a rivalry, but he doesn't really like care for uh, doesn't even if he cares for rivalries and what like fans may think. So, and I think loyalty is a problem, but I, I do agree that Stuart Pearce is probably the best for the job just because he knows everyone there. He's well, he's English for a start. I mean, that's what everyone's been saying, and he he's raised half the squad as part of the under 21s. He's not been majorly successful at the under 21s level, but he has. Showing promise, and I don't think it's a reflection of his bad management. I just think it's a better indication of better youth systems out there than the current English one, which is another problem. But I think Stuart Pearce will be the manager for the European Championships, and if he does well, if he gets us to a semi-final, or maybe even further, if he, if he runs up or we win it, then he's the manager. I, mean, I, th- I think if he get, he gets, if he gets the, uh, if he gets the role, then it's his then for the European Championships, then it's his job to lose. But I don't think we'll be seeing anyone like a red nap or anyone major like that come in at this at this short notice. And it's no, I'm sure they will be flattered to be named with it. And it's nice to think that we could get someone like that. But unless Mourinho suddenly loses his job or Hiddink becomes available, then there's just no, there's no conceivable way that it's going to happen. The good news is, the good news is that we will do very, very well. To find a worse manager than Capello. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great <laughs> shout. What is it? We've, right? We, we had Steve McLaren. We thought surely it can't get any worse, and lo and behold, we found an Italian man that looks like Postman Pat and can't speak English. Mm. And we thought, yes, that's the man we want in charge of our team. <laughs> um, so yeah, Capello, Capello might even be a worthy nomination for Akmal of the Week. I don't think that actually, yeah. I think so, because the reason he left is pretty much because he wanted John Terry as captain, so which I can't really defend. I mean, I get why maybe just because of like he's your captain and has been, but 
it's not it's just the latest controversy in it in Terry's career and you can't you can't have someone who is in in court on a racial charge of a charge of like racial hatred as I don't know what the technical term is um but you can't have that you know the European Championships you've got the whole continent if not the entire world watching and you've got our team led by yeah. someone who you know, when when they when you play football for England, you represent the country and everything it sort of stands for. Yeah. If we get a possible racist, and I say possible because it's not been proven either way yet. Um, if we let a possible racist captain our team, it's going to send a message out to the rest of Europe about what England's like. And if it was any other job in the world, and if you were under sort of like a um, investigation, you'd be relieved from your job and you'd be on leave. You'd be suspended at the moment. Yeah. Until like until the investigation's over, you'd be suspended. But because he's a footballer, they can't warrant spending so much. Yeah. So you know, it's yeah. So I think you can't. Yeah. If he if he wanted to, if he expected that Terry should be captain, if he thought that, then then really he had to go. You can't defend something like that. Yeah, you can't defend it. I mean, it's just you should, you should just let it be, and he should have accepted what the other thing. Because at the end of the day, they control what happens. They control his job, and if they if he'd have kicked off of them, well, then it just wouldn't have worked. I mean, nothing's going to happen. If you know what I mean, like, if, if he tried to, he, he, this is this is the end result, sorry. This is the end result of what happens when you disagree with your boss. You can say that you should be in control, but at the same time, you can't disagree with what your, what your boss is saying, what the higher-ups say. So, I, I think it's fair that he left. I know why he left, that he couldn't, he couldn't, he, did, he felt he didn't have full control of the team and could select who he wanted to. Well, with regards to the captaincy, I think he shouldn't have done it at this point. I think it's a bit selfish, and if this was going to be a problem, he should have quit months ago. Yeah, um, definitely. Probably, of course, this is this is like when any when any big club or big you know international team gets from their manager, you do get like the, the sort of the the humorous nominations. It should be England um, manager. Many quite humorous ones. Um, the, I've seen the guy who changed himself to the goalpost at Anfield. Not Anfield, sorry, my bad. Um, I'm getting mixed up with another one, which was the cat that ran onto the pitch at Anfield. Um, guy, was it at Goodison Park? The guy who... Ran- I'm not sure. Well, there, was a, there was some nuts who ran onto the pitch and handcuffed himself to a goalpost in the middle of a game. Um, apparently he might be on. He might be up for it. Um, Monty Panasar. The cricketer, which I think could be a uh, quite funny, and a um, Simon Graysham, who the Leeds United manager, or the former Leeds United manager, should I say? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you if you're a betting person, and you're listening to this. Uh, don't bet on any of them because it won't happen. Um, except for the cat. The cat has a good chance. You know, we've had Persman Pat. Why can't we not have Jess the cat as well? <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree that it's kind of well, those are very stupid nominations for the job. I think that wraps it up now. I think we both we we agree anyway with ourselves that Stuart Pearce is probably going to be the short term manager with you uh, then. Uh, short-term manager with, with a view of picking up the long-term contract on him if he manages to succeed. Um, 
but we won't. See, we'll see a short-term manager before they finally make a long-term decision after the Euro 2012 Championships. So it's not too much of a worry for England, considering when it's one of the most revered jobs in the world. And you look at some of the managers we've had over the Bar McLaren. We've had some great managers in there, and I think a lot of great managers want to take that job. I think if anyone can bring success to the English. Uh, national football team then you're pretty much going to confirm yourself as one of the greatest coaches of all time I think internationally is kind of international coaches are almost overlooked everyone looks at the players but I think a coach has a lot to do with it I mean people say oh Pelé was like the greatest international player or like but no one really mentions that Vincent Del Bosque or Louis Aragonés or for Spain like the coaches behind those teams don't get a lot of respect but I think if you did it with England then you'd get like a lot a lot of um, if you if you manage to win a major competition with England, I think you you be thrust upon like the greatest of all time discussions almost immediately. and MPEs and tea parties with David Cameron and all that sort of things. But yeah, I think it's it's a, it's possibly one of the toughest jobs, um, you know, being a football manager because it's. You can be, as you've seen with some of the people like Sam Allardyce in Sack from Blackburn and Neil Warnock from QPR recently, you don't have to do much wrong for it to all fall down around you, do you really? Football's too much of a player's game. I think it's it's been a, it, it's suited around being. What do you boys want? What do you want to do? That's kind of what Chelsea have got away with for so long. There's a lot of rumours like people like Frank Lampard and maybe it, maybe a John Terry as well, but. People were like that Chelsea was a boys' club pretty much, like they just mucked around and they didn't really have much respect, and that's why Mourinho left and Ancelotti couldn't control them and everyone like that. I think that was kind of important notifying. That's what Andre Villas-Boas has done a lot. Apparently, apparently he's done his best. To, uh, he he reeled in the players basically. He stopped them from doing what they want to do, and it's more about the club now than it is them, which is kind of what the general gist of what people felt. Well, that's what people felt the general gist of the club was before, especially with the players. Um, yeah, Chelsea do seem to have a bit of like a revolving door policy going on with their management at the moment. Um, you know, it's, well, my point is basically managers, they do a lot for their club, and most very rarely, and this is like an all-time great like Ferguson and only only other one in the Premier League really would probably be Arsene Wenger. A, um, yeah get like good press. Most most managers only ever seem to get bad press and with the Chelsea thing, again it's a bit of a cliche, but you have to think no players bigger than their club. Um, and I think it's it's tough on managers because they very rarely get like the respect and the credit that they deserve. Right, I think you summed up football quite well. Um, obviously as I said before we both agree where Stuart Pearce will probably be short term and then long term later we'll bring in a long term coach later on so did you want to move on to a well, an overview of well, a series review of the England versus Pakistan or England in uh, well England versus Pakistan in the UAE series yeah, that's the one um, it's a bit of a mouthful isn't it really yeah tripped myself over my feet I want to say Abu Dhabi a couple of times but then... yeah no, it's just difficult because it's like it's like they're their, con- their countries in their own right, but they've all got one big name, and it all gets proper confusing. Uh, okay, here it is. It's the England, oh, the Pakistan versus England in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Ah, oh, so it's not even United Arab Emirates. I think it's easier to say 
Dubai and Abu Dhabi. That's what BBC has, and I think that's it. <laughs> I think I'm going to roll with that just because it makes yeah, me feel Why would the BBC lie? Yeah. Um, right. Um, just, in, just in case, of course, it has been. There have been a few rumours around the internet that perhaps we've not been the speediest in releasing our podcasts. Um, so before we get started, this is the a um, test series between England and Pakistan in the year of our Lord 2012. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is basically the, the series that England went into number one in the world, having just demolished India in the Test series um, at home. Went into thinking, oh, this is going to be easy, and they have been whitewashed uh, yes. quite comprehensively by Pakistan, actually, who I was very very impressed with. In, in the end, I mean, the first Test they were they absolutely destroyed. Uh, Pakistan ran rampant. Um, Beat them by ten wickets. I think they they underestimated the spinners they had. I mean, Ajmal took seven wickets in the first innings of the first test, and then well, he got ten. He ended up with ten for overall for the for the, the first test. And England's batting lineup was so suspect late on. I mean, Owen Morgan had a terrible series. Ian Bell's series was shambolic. Peterson was terrible. The openers offered a bit here and there. Trot was in and around, like trying, doing the best he can with a bad bunch. Swan and Broad kind of traded places, like got a good couple runs here and there. But other than that, they were just run over by Pakistan the entire time series, really. The bowlers more so than the batsmen. I think the batsmen played for, they didn't play for to get runs. They played to just stay in and wear down the attack and slowly build up runs rather than just gun it and gun it and gun it. Um, yeah, it's... Pakistan, I cannot... Pakistan played brilliantly and I don't know about you but I think it's actually it's really good to see for World Cricket. Pakistan team really needed you know, there's... Uh, despite there being none between this the players... The series. I think yeah. you said it before in a podcast that was actually released this would be the series of Pakistan. This defines them. Like, can they bounce back from all this yeah. stuff? And the media was saying there wasn't. There didn't seem to be much of bad blood, but the, certainly the media was saying beforehand about how how much these two teams hate each other and how much Pakistan will want to get one back. But I thought they played absolutely. They 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 did brilliantly. I think Mishba. I've, I think I've said it on possibly on an unreleased podcast. Mishba is. Undoubtedly, exactly what Pakistan cricket need right now. He's he's very experienced. He's got a very good head, um, and he's definitely the best choice for that Test captaincy. There's a few arguments for a 3D when he's um, not in retirement. I I'm unaware of his current status. Lots um, coin, tell you. Yeah, but he's 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 bonkers a 3D. So he'd have been. But Mishbar, he he knows how to play the Test game. He leads from the front, and his captaincy effort was very good. Yeah. Um, I know. I know. I said about Pakistan's bowling, specifically Ajmal, and how good he was in the test. I mean, Gull had a good test as well. And it was very man, wasn't it? The left down spin of a man in that yeah, first test. Um, I mean, they, they played the spin ridiculously. Like we played three spins the entire tour, but also was the batsman. I think other than the the, the one innings with where they got a 99 in the, on the. Uh, on the first day of the third test where they got the 99 there was always like 
He always managed to hang around for a bit. He used to have batsmen, like, not sensationally getting, like, a tons. I mean, I don't think we saw many uh, centuries at all. I think we saw, in a three-match series, three series, we saw... Two. Two, and they both came in the final test. Both came, we, we had two centuries in the, in the game. And Pakistan weren't batting to get the big score. They were getting to just get runs, and they managed to do that. I mean, only one... Other than that one time where they got 99 out on the third day, they they were always around and they always had quite a few players into the double digits, getting 20s or 30s or 40s. I mean, they always had someone, whereas England were, like, faltering constantly, tripping over their own feet. I mean, it's ridiculous to see how bad they played, some of them. Yeah, uh, Pakistan showed England how to bat on the continental conditions. Um the century from Azhar Ali in the third test. I mean, I don't know how many how many runs he got. Uh, was it was it was it quite a big hundred? I think it was. What for Azhar Ali? Azhar Ali, yeah. He scored. Oh, I've, just got this, I've just got it up here, so he scored 157. Yeah, but it was uh, he got 157, but it came off something like 440 balls. 442 balls. There you go. See, I knew it was in your head. Uh, it was a slow knock, if nothing else. Obviously, not the fastest of centuries I think I've ever seen. Um, F1 was talking to me on Facebook. He claimed that uh, those last two days of the third test were the most boring two days in test cricket in history. Um, but as we know, he's just an Irishman, and they don't even play test cricket, so um, what does he know? Um, but, you know, he... They scored their runs by occupying the crease. They batted. They batted long time, and the primary their, their primary purpose was to not get out rather than to score runs. Because England were a lot more aggressive. They tried to play pitches that were spinning square, um, the same as they played like at a pitch day one at Lords. You know, it was shot selection was the big issue. Um, Mostly going back to the spinners when they should have come forwards. Uh, there was a lot of LBWs. Um, there was a few. There was a few way uh, mentions of DRS and all sorts of things like that. But that's that's a completely different story, which I'm sure we can put in uh, sometime. Done about today, but it was just England's batsmen were woeful. Uh, I don't think there's another word for it. Um, the only time that I'd say that the Pakistan bowlers out-bowled the batsmen, rather than the batsmen sort of getting themselves out. I don't want to take credit away from Pakistan here, because they bowled brilliantly. But the only time where it looked like the bowlers were really on top of the batsmen, it wasn't batsmen getting themselves out. Possibly that first innings in the first test, when Ajmal got the seven foot. I think the deucer that got Bell, you know, bad luck, if you get one of them first ball, you know, 100 times out of 100, you'd play that ball exactly the same way, with the same result. That was absolute jaffa. But other than that, they were just they just didn't seem to want it. They didn't seem to want to be out there playing Pakistan and batting for long periods of time. Yeah. I think the batting change a change in the batting has to be made for the better. I mean Bell's been dropped from the one day series, but Morgan needs to be dropped from the test side. I mean we need to find someone else. I mean we've got an abundance of bowlers yet no batsmen to bring in in case of if someone got injured, we'd be screwed because we could replace them. But if like two people get injured, then we're done for because we we don't have many people that we've tried out in the test side. I mean, 
on the bowling aspect, as I said, we've got quite a few play- people we know who can play uh, test cricket, especially from a bowling perspective. But from a batting perspective, uh, a current like sixth or seventh man would be R- Ravi Bapara, and we, we don't we're not even sure if he can if he's suitable for test cricket. I mean, is, it, is there anyone out there that we can actually bring in and be confident that he he could be good or he, he could be a good replacement? I think. We, that's where we struggle. We'd love to bring someone in, maybe replace Morgan at, at six, but we physically—it's impossible to because you know the player we have isn't good enough. Um, first of all, I think that um, it's important even not to make too many rash changes. I'd agree that there has to be one change, and that is uh, Owen Morgan, um, yeah. fantastic cricketer in the shorter game. Um, this was the series that he was meant to excel himself against the spinners in Pakistan. Um, he hasn't. He's failed uh, miserably. And I'd, I'd like to see Bopara. I think it's about time that Bopara actually got a sustained run at number six. Yeah. His previous career, he was in at number three. Um, he got a couple of hundreds against the West Indies. And then when the opposition started to get a bit tougher, he struggled. But to bat at three at such an early part of your test career is such a challenge for any young batsman and I personally think we saw in the one day series against India at home Bopara has matured as a batsman he's he's much more sort of calm and controlled at the crease he's a much better player now and I think I, I think it's only fair that he gets a decent run at this spot um, elsewhere if we're looking into the county game uh, there's a few people there's James Taylor um, mm-hmm. scored a lot of runs for the England Lions um, there's a lot of people are saying Johnny Bairstow from Yorkshire um, which will be, you'll be surprised to know I actually don't think he should be getting a test spot yet I think he's <laughs> much unproven um, the other one that springs to mind again another Yorkshireman is Joe Root um, he's been scoring uh, a lot of runs for Yorkshire other than that though, Michael Carberry he's still sort of around the team isn't he he's like a backup opener yeah but it's like we've got there's sort of like we've got some a good crop of very young players coming through yeah batsman wise but we've got that we said about it what we've said it a few times about India India have got like the old guards you've got your Dravids your Laxmans your Tendulkars and then they've got the very sort of young new guards your Rohit your Rohit Sharmas and your Kohli's and you know and they've got nothing in between we sort of we sort of have that in the county game now with, in England. Um, there's not too many standout standout batsmen. Uh, there's a couple of like really young players coming through who aren't really aren't ready for the Test game. Um, mm. And then obviously the guys that score the big runs, uh, your Trescoffics and your Rampakashes, uh, sort of you know, have already retired. They're not they're not going to get a game for England. So. Um, it's, yeah. Also, we've got some, we would say we've got some great bowling strength, but batting wise, we'll say we've got those three. There's probably a couple of others that I could. That are probably around. Um, yeah. Oh, oh Christ! I can't think of his name. Oh yeah, Jimmy Adams. Jimmy Adams. Jimmy Adams. Yeah. James Adams, the Hampshire opener, is it? Yeah. Well, I think we did have one, but he's gone now. Uh, Oh, uh, what did we have? Uh, was it? I'm sure it was Adams. It was Adams, yeah. I'm just not sure if it was uh, 
Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy Adams. Michael Lamb is what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the... Uh, um... Actually, looking up at his profile, Jimmy Adams... Jimmy Adams is 31. Yeah. Which is, which is quite surprising. I've seen someone like Carberry, maybe. Carberry's 31. I think if we're going to bring anyone in from the Hampshire side, it's going to be... Or Danny Briggs has made his way into the... Um, yeah, but he's he's a bowler, isn't he, really? He's a bowler. Um, but Liam Dawson, he was a bowler, but he is... Um, he was a bowler, but he's also a batsman as well. He's more of an all-rounder. He's classed as a batsman, but I think he's more of an all-rounder. He's someone that could, uh, is quite good, of course, if he brought in. Um, I, I personally think that out of those that we've sort of mentioned, the next one to be a successful test player, mm. I think, is going, either going to be James Taylor mm. or Joe Root. I think it's going to be those two in the test game. Um Besto, we'll have to wait and see. I'm, I, obviously, I'm, I've seen him at Yorkshire. He's a great player for Yorkshire. I haven't seen enough of him <laughs> um, in international level to make a judgment. Um, yeah. But I am trying to draw this out as much as possible because every time that I say the word Johnny Besto or the name Johnny Besto, I say, there's two. That's good for me. Um, <laughs> our drinky drink thriving Scotsman uh, has to down another shot of whiskey. So we'll talk about Johnny Besto for as long as we can. Um, Obviously, I thought Johnny Bairstow plays for Yorkshire. He's a very good player. Uh, Johnny Bairstow, of course, made his name after he made that 41 not out of about 20 balls against India at sort of Cardiff, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a good cricketer, Johnny Bairstow. Um, Who was man of the match? Was man, was, uh, could have been both Parva. It could have been both Parva, but he's sure it wasn't the, the other guy. But you were just talking about what was his name again? Uh, James Taylor. No, 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 you said there was a, someone scored a 41, I thought, when you said he made his name, I thought it was, uh... No, that was Bairstow. Oh. Johnny, Johnny Bairstow. Oh, him, yeah, oh, of course, Johnny Bairstow. How did I forget about Johnny Bairstow? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> You're a bit too slow on picking up what I was trying to get out of there, but... Um, uh, we can edit the gap out, you know, and to make it seem... Right, so, uh, I, yeah, I think we've made a fairly fair analysis. I think Pakistan played very well. Looked like they wanted it more, a lot more than what England did. And England just struggled with the batting. Um, one upside, though, that I did like was um, the return of Monty Panesar. Hey. He did return. Uh, um, uh, you said he wouldn't. I said he would. He did. I think it was a very good... And he, he, he played very well. I think he got to the conditions... A lot more than what um, Graham Storm did. I think he, he he benefited more from it. I don't think. Um, sorry, I, I think Swan struggled a bit more than him. Panasar seemed to be at home, pretty much. He 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 did. He had a very good series for me in the two games that he played. And while I think Swan is still the better bowler, I think if we ever get in a situation again where the option for two spinners. Is well, if two sort of spinners becomes an option, then I think there's definitely um, I think Panasar is definitely an option. So yeah, if if England have the choice where two spinners is a possible option, they should take it because well, Panasar and Swan playing either side to side is going to drive you crazy, and Panasar seemed to do quite well. We also had his uh, brilliant wicket-taking celebrations. Uh, yes. 
I think he seems to have got even more airborne than he was in his, well, last time he played for England. He's, he's, he was flying like a gazelle after he got a couple of them, just springing in there. Um, but yeah, um, I did say on the previous podcast that I thought that England should play two spinners, um, but I didn't think they would do because of their, their sort of stubbornness to how we got to number one regime. Yeah. Um, I still think that they probably wouldn't have played two spinners had Chris Tremnit not got injured. But we can, you know, we can talk about all that one, all that we want. The point is that we did play two spinners. Uh, Monty Panasar came in, um, and yeah, he, he had a he had a much better series than Swan. He just he he looked, yeah. I mean, he took up the role of sort of holding up an end, rather than rather than being sort of whereas Swan is much more of a sort of a strike bowler, despite yeah. being a spinner. He is a strike bowler. He's renowned for getting wickets in that first over of his spell. Panasar played the sort of more typical sort of English spinner role of the sort of holding up the other end while you can shuffle your quicks, quick, quicker guys at the other end. Yeah. Well, he uh, ended up with bowling 50 overs or so, didn't he? In the yeah, in the innings. Um, but he, I, was he possibly... No, he can't, he can't be. He, he bowled very well, put it that way. Um, he got, was it a couple of fifers? Yeah. A couple of fifers. Um, so... Yeah, that was that was obviously uh, very good from him. Um, interestingly, F1, as uh, F1 over Facebook, everybody knows a, uh, how a uh, controversial F1 likes to be, um, as well as saying they're possibly the two most boring days of uh, cricket he's ever watched. He also said had to watch 50 overs of Monty Panesar bowling, that Monty makes him cry, and that he is an international standard. So I uh, promptly reached through my computer screen and slapped him. <laughs> but yeah, yeah um, some review of what the England, um, of the England Pakistan series in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Pakistan's spinners were exceptional. I mean, they played three Ajmal particularly was exceptional. The batsmen as well just played well. Mishba like a great captain. Pakistan was the one saving grace for the England side. But other than that, they just played for Pakistan wanted it more. Yeah. They- it was. Um, I'll come. Uh, I'll come back to sort of the England thing in a bit. Uh, yeah. It was. It was almost like a role reversal. I mean, from like what we're used to seeing. We usually say about how England uh, recently they're the number one team in the world. They bat well, they bowl well, and they field well. They're a really professional outfit. Pakistan. We always say they have tons of heart. You know, they're really enthusiastic. But they they have the the odds sort of. They, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to use the word donkey after how that went down of India. Yeah. Uh, they have the slight. They have a few fielders that are highly suspect, um, shall we say? And they, you know, their bowling can occasionally be um, a bit Mitchell Johnson, shall we say, in the way that they'll either bowl teams out for about twenty or go for about twenty and over. But it was it was it was almost like a complete role reversal in that Pakistan were the sort of professional season team, and England were sort of like the bumbling idiots, if you like. But I'd also like to argue. I'd, I'd argue that Stuart Broad had a good series for England as well. Yeah. Uh, he, he bowled well, um, he, he batted quite well when others around him had failed. Yeah, I, I think Broad, Broad uh, ex, ex, excelled himself um, in, the, in this series. Uh, him and Panasar, Anderson didn't have a too bad. I thought the bowlers, the bowlers did very well. It was just the batting that let us down. Yeah, I think, well, I think that's fair. Did you want to move on quickly to talk about maybe the Six Nations? Just quickly throw something in there about, um, well, that's ongoing, I mean... More than likely, we'll do a review of that at some point. We've had we've had a uh, the first week of games. Um, 
England, Scotland, France, Italy, Wales, Ireland. Um, I didn't watch the France Italy game. I can't really comment on that. England, Scotland was the usual sort of scrappy affair. England won to to uh, a Charlie Hodgson try that was actually uh, Dan Parks kicked from inside his own five meter line, and it, Hodgson charged it down and jumped on it, which which quite interesting. It's caused I don't know what well, I don't know if it is the cause, but Dan Parks has retired from international rugby. It's a bit interesting. It was, it was a very New England team, and I thought they played quite well. Is it really Parks' fault? <laughs> no, I don't know if it really was Parks' fault. I'm just saying, well, he kicked, it got charged down, Hodgson scored, and he's retired at the end of the game. I'm, I, I'm just providing you with the facts. You can make up your own mind on whether it, it, Parks has retired for that reason or whatever. But <laughs> um, England played quite well. Um, they controlled a lot of the game. Stuart Lancaster, the new coach, our caretaker coach, is a really down-to-earth guy. I like the way he runs the team. I think that England have got actually got maybe even have a chance of taking the Six Nations title. And then we'll quickly go into the Wales Island game. That was a great game of rugby. It sort of really sort of ebbed, to, ebbed and flowed the momentum. I'm going to talk about a, a couple of incidents in the second half. First is the oh, what is his name? He was the Welsh second rower, Bradley Bradley Davies. Bradley. Don't, don't look at me for an answer. I have. This is this is, again. This is this is the one time that F1 was here. Me and F1 actually know a bit about rugby. It's but you know, yeah. Bradley Davies, the Welsh second rower, speared an Irish player. I don't know. I'm presuming people know what a spear tackle is. If you don't, it's basically where you go into into a tackle without your arms and you spear upwards, tip them up. And then basically throw him on the floor. So uh, basically it's like a tip, dump, yeah, tackle. Tip tackle um, is another word for it. They call it sort of spear and You can't do it. It's illegal. Brian O'Driscoll had a horrific injury sustained when he got sort of speared a, um, for the playing for the British Lions. And yeah, he came in, he speared this guy. And usually a spear is a red card when... The player, even when the player is on the ball, Bradley Davies did this tackle whilst the, well, when to a player that was nowhere near the ball when he played. The referee stopped play. He asked his touch judge. His touch judge only gave him a yellow card, and they uh, sin binned him. And later on, a, a couple of minutes later, Stephen Ferris, I think for Ireland, did what at first looked like a very similar tackle. And then, I, then they showed the replays, and it was nowhere near the same calibre of tackle as Davies's tackle was. But he also got sin-binned. And from the penalty that they gave away, um, Wales, Wales, Lee Halfpenny kicked the penalty, and they took the game by a point, I think. Two and points is what I read. Yeah, and that was that was the game. That's what they did it. I, um there's a few controversial decisions about that, obviously about both sort of tackles. My my view on it is that Davies should have been red. There was uh, no arguing with that. However, the Ferris tackle, if it wasn't a yellow, it was still a penalty. Yeah. And I think that the desert, the result, the right result was that Wales won from that penalty. Ireland were probably the better team throughout, but at the end, it was just one little slip of discipline that gave away this penalty. Wales capitalised and they ended up taking the game. And I think it's a setback because I think Ireland had a chance of winning this tournament. Wales second row Bradley Davies has actually been banned for the rest of the Six Nations for that tackle. Right, it wins a uh, Bells of Deja Vu over Sam Warburton in the World Cup. 
Um, Stephen Paris, the Irish guy, he's um, fine to play. He's been cleared. Yeah, it was it was an exciting week of rugby. Um, if you like rugby. Well, uh, yeah, I like I do like rugby. Um, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say the same thing and you go and chat about the Super Bowl for ten minutes, which you're going to struggle to by yourself. Uh, <laughs> so I I just go and do some housework or something while you chat about that. But yeah, that's the Six Nations. Um, We'll talk about that more in a few weeks. Hopefully, F1 will be around, so yeah, um, I mean, a bit of opinion sort of to bounce up, bounce against. But I think it's for the best that he isn't here because I'm sure he would have many strong views about the Ireland Wales game. Just to quickly say about the Super Bowl, Giant. Oh. Sorry, my apologies. Just to say about the Super Bowl quickly, uh, the Giants won the Super Bowl. Wasn't as good as a game as it was. Last time around when they played in 2008, well, yeah, in the 2007 Super Bowl, sorry. That's the one weird thing, okay? They call it the 2007 Super Bowl, it's played in 2008, annoys me. Uh, that's actually an American sphere. Yeah, they get everything. But yeah, the last time when they played in the 2007 Super Bowl, they managed, it was, a, it was a lot better game then, but it was a different type of game now, it was quite good, it was... The tempo wasn't quite as there, but it was a very, very good game. I, I thought a lot. Some of the parts highlighted the tactical side of the game. There was a good, uh, well, there was one particular tactical decision or tactical move that I thought was, uh, I think everyone thought was quite as interesting. Towards the end of the game, the Giants knew that they they were in basically what you call field goal range. They knew they could kick the field goal for the well. All they had to do was run down the clock. Get kicked the field goal and they win the game. Um, so they went to run the ball and the Patriots let them in, knowing that if they let the Giants kick, they would have had 20 seconds to make a uh, make a play to then try and take back the lead and win the game. But instead, they gave themselves uh, a minute. They almost did it, but it just wasn't to be. I think it will go down as one of the better Super Bowls in history. I think it was a, it, was a, it had its highlight moments. Um, but I think it wasn't as big as it could have been. Uh, I, th- I think it was too hyped up to, to ever deliver the results that it had. Yeah, that, that happens quite often, though, doesn't it, really, in sport? You'll, you'll spend, especially with the Super Bowl, which is hyped up for a very long time, I believe. Is it months? Two weeks, no, they get two weeks, and, well, two weeks to highlight who... To ramp up who's in it, and then like an entire month for playoffs. Yeah, so, yeah. so hype up that some that hype up which teams could be in it. It's it's pretty, it's pretty extreme over there. So you kind of expect it in some ways to be an anticlimax, really. Yeah, with, with that amount of hype that goes into it. Um, I can't. Yeah, it usually comes down to what plays are made and what people think. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, that's yeah, that, that, that's all you got to say. Well, the Super Bowl is a good victory for the Giants. Probably the more deserved winners of the game. They were in control for large portions. Probably shouldn't have been as close as it was, but that's how football, uh, American football guys sometimes. But yeah, that's that's a Super Bowl review. Yay! Is there anything else that you wanted to, to say? I think we only need to do one more thing. I think we only need to do one more thing to wrap it up, but 
there's any you know, topics that you want to... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of something. Um, I'm scouring through my brain for something useful. Um, no, no, nothing. Nothing, eh? Um, well... Alright, F1, F1 cars, under your noses. Save that for next week. Yeah, I think save it for next week is probably, probably best. So, should we say, um, just to finish up with Akma of the Week? Akma of the Week. I've already made my nomination. I think it should go to Fabio Capello um, for basically crimes committed against football for the last however many years he's been in charge. Yeah, I think personally for his archaic views and what his demand, well, for his stupidity, Fabio Capello is my act of the week. Yeah, um, an award designed for basically, yeah, stu- basically stupidity and incompetence, and Capello has showed both. In the absence of any better candidates, I think he has to be the one, really. Yeah, I think it was a uh, kind of. St- that's stupid, really. Um, so, uh, well done. Um, I think that's that's yeah, the podcast. Was, that's um, the podcast. Um, hopefully, next week we'll have more people on it. Um, <laughs> F1, preferably that Scottish band. It doesn't bother me too much if we get F1 back. It's been quite a quite a sort of tranquil podcast without him. Right. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you next week. Next week. Bye.